Good afternoon, church. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Uh, This is Acts uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. And it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who, had con- who conducted Paul brought him uh, as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. I hope that y'all are doing well. If you're new, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McKellen. It's a joy to be with you this afternoon. In the event that you didn't catch Gabe, we're going to find ourselves in two portions of Scripture this afternoon. We're going to be looking at Acts 17, uh, and then we're going to flip the pages over to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, One of the things, one of the quick changes, Gabe gave uh, uh, the whole story of this church in Thessalonica. We're going to look at the first nine verses of Acts 17. But nevertheless, Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be jumping back and forth in our time this morning. Um, As a result, today we're starting a new sermon, sermon series on the first letter to the Thessalonians. It's called First Thessalonians. And so uh, as you flip your Bibles, opening them or loading them, uh, I want to give you two quick updates. The first one is that we want to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus. And, and one of the ways in which we want to provide this kind of care and help is through resources. And so if you weren't sure or if you were unaware, we have writers in our church that serve uh, to write content for you. Uh, They write one of two things, whether it's devotionals, some of these are printed and published and we gift them to you. Some of them are what we call discipleship guides and these guides tend to 
kind of be paired up with a book series like First Thessalonians. And these guides have everything from personal to group questions, family, discipleship. If you have kiddos, there's a brief history on the church in Thessalonica. All of that is available to you on our website, storehousemccallan.com. Uh, again, because we want to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus as you commune with him in his word and with one another in community. The second thing I have for you is community groups, right? The community groups are the lifeblood of our church. This is the primary avenue for discipleship and care. And so if you're not in a community group, let me encourage you to get in one and to visit the Connect desk to learn more about where they meet and when they meet. And they're not just in McAllen, they're in our surrounding cities. Uh, well, other than that, that's all I have for you. Let's dig into our time. For many athletes, spring training, and it kind of feels like spring, spring training is one of their most anticipated sessions. Spring training allows for young athletes to show off their talent and hopefully produce some potentially promising future victories uh, to, to their managers and coaches. At the same time, spring training allows for more seasoned athletes to switch gears and to begin to prepare once more for competition and games and matches and so on. When it comes to spring training, whether you're a new athlete or you're a veteran athlete, it's necessary for everyone in order to prepare for the season that is to come. And the importance about spring training is that it returns everybody to the basics, which are the essential of sports and competition. That's the idea. Well, in the same way that spring training prepares new and seasoned athletes, 1 Thessalonians helps Christians, whether they're new or young in the faith or veteran and seasoned individuals who have been walking with the Lord for some time, 1 Thessalonians helps us to return to the basics of our Christian faith. These basics involve a refocusing and a sharpening of our attention on the heart of the gospel. And in the event that we forget, because you and I are forgetful people, the gospel is that God entered into time and space, redeeming and reconciling sinners to himself through Jesus that he was resurrected on the third day, leaving sin and death in the grave. And, not, and now, as a result, not only are hearts made new, there are implications for you and I as we walk with the Lord Jesus. This spring, we're going to be walking through 1 Thessalonians for about 11 weeks. We're going to take a short break around the time of Holy Week, uh, but the idea of walking through 1 Thessalonians is with the goal of returning to the basics of our Christian faith, remembering that at the heart of the gospel, here's your main idea, that at the heart of the gospel is an invitation to receive and remember grace and peace to you. At the heart of the gospel is an invitation to receive and remember God's grace and peace to you. So let me pray, and then we will dig into our time. We're going to start in the first half of 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, and then we're going to rewind back to Acts 17. But let me pray before we dig in. God, we are thankful for the Sunday gathering. 
where we get to come together uh, to celebrate your work, to celebrate your wonders, where we get to come together ultimately to worship Jesus. And that's the second thing, Lord. We are thankful to you for Jesus, sending him to reconcile us to you. God, we are thankful to you for our church where we get to push into one another as we push one another toward Jesus. Therefore, as we walk and begin this series in 1 Thessalonians, Lord, would you give us, would you give us the grace to listen so that we might see you from your word? Would you give us the grace to receive everything from comfort to conviction? And would you give us the grace to respond in obedience to what you're calling us to? Lord, may this time be glorifying to you. May it be edifying to us. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the first things that the first letter of the Thessalonians is going to teach us is that the power of the gospel both saves sinners and sends missionaries. Those are two things. The power of the gospel both saves sinners and sends missionaries. And so in order to best understand who these Thessalonians are, we need to first consider who's writing to them and how this church was planted. So in 1 Thessalonians 1, we see three names, Paul, Silvanus, also known as Silas, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And who are these guys? This is like a group of church planters and missionaries who began this church in Thessalonica. So at this point, let us rewind all the way back to Acts 17. Remember, we're going to be going back and forth. While you do that, let me unpack who these individuals are or were. Beginning with Paul. Paul was a religious leader who, this sounds kind of interesting, he was a religious leader who persecuted Christians. Right? He persecuted Christians, and this one day, he's on his way to this city called Damascus. And while he's headed there, the Lord Jesus appears to him, and the Lord Jesus confronts him with this sin in persecuting his church. Upon confronting Paul, what we see is Paul's conversion, that Jesus saves this man named Paul who persecuted Christians. And it wasn't too long thereafter that Paul began to preach the same grace that the Lord Jesus had extended to him on the Damascus Road. When it comes to Silvanus or Silas, we don't know a lot about him, but what we do know is that he was a leader in the Jerusalem Council. That's just a fancy word for saying he was a church leader in the early church, right? And he had kind of a big role. This man was a prophet. Uh, he helped kind of construct, man, how the early church was going to go about spreading the gospel and how are we going to be strategic about this? And we end up learning that he begins to accompany Paul on all these missionary trips, right? And then finally, good old Timothy, young Timothy, right? We walked through 1 Timothy last semester, uh, but in the event that you forgot or you've never heard of Timothy, Acts 16 records that he was this young believer 
right? He was this young believer, and so Paul meets him, and Paul is impressed by this young man's faith. And ultimately, what Paul and some of his crew does is they ask him, hey, would you like a non-paid internship? And Timothy says, I'm in. And so Timothy hooks up with Paul and all these guys, and so they go on these missionary journeys, planting churches, and Timothy serves as somewhat of a ministry intern. We, he plays kind of a big role in 1 Thessalonians that we'll look at as we move on, right? Here's what I want you to see with these three individuals, or here's what I want you to know when it comes to these three individuals. At some point, all three of them did not know God. At some point, all three of them were estranged from him, they were separated from him, and their hearts were spiritually dead. However, in God's goodness and kindness, Jesus saved each one of these men through the work of the gospel. In short, each of these men received the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And the work of God didn't end there for these men, just as it doesn't end with you. It's not as though Jesus just saved them and he was like, deuces, you're good. There was a continued work in these men. And as they grew in their understanding of the gospel and in their walk with the Lord, they were burdened by the Spirit at some point and were sent out with the same gospel that saved them. Once more, the power of the gospel saves sinners. The same grace that was given to them, the same grace that saved these men, sent them out to preach that grace. And that's what brings us to Acts 17. If we could summarize Acts 17, 1 through 9, it would be that the power of the gospel sends missionaries. Now, oftentimes when we're thinking about missionaries, we're thinking about individuals that, man, go overseas or they go to these crazy places. And that's true. There are many individuals that the Lord calls to all sorts of places. But, or and, right here and right now, we need to establish this whole talk about missionaries. Here's what it is. You ready? Where you are is where you have been sent. Where you are is where you have been sent. There is no coincidence that you are where you are right now, whether it's at school as a student, at work as an employee, at home as a parent, or in your community as a friend. Where you are is where you have been sent. The question is whether or not we're faithful missionaries. That's the question. It's not whether or not you are one. It's whether or not we are faithful ones. And so Acts 17 tells us, tells us how Paul and his crew got to Thessalonica. And we actually begin this in Acts 16. Here, I think this is up on the screen. Here's what we see. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. I want you to like pay attention to that. We're going to keep coming back to that. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought up to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. So the, the city that is Thessalonica is in Macedonia. 
And so as they're making their way there, they make a stop in Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was, uh, it was not a big city. It was a big city, but it was more of a commercial hub for Macedonia. It was a port city, uh, lots of culture and religiosity and paganism. And when it comes to the, the Thessalonians, uh, most scholars believe that this was Paul's first letter. And what you're going to notice in the language as we walk through 1 Thessalonians is that Paul, and this sounds funny, at least I thought it was, Paul is very, very encouraging to the Thessalonians, right? It's like one of, if not the only letter where he's just like super upbeat and encouraging them, right? All of his other letters, he's angry or correcting uh, one of the churches. And so when it comes to 1 Thessalonians, we're, we're going to see this different side of, of a younger Paul. But nevertheless, they make their way, they park in Thessalonica, and here's where we take off in Acts 17. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis, uh, they came to Thessalonica where, they, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2, Paul went in as was his custom on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Here's what I want to focus on. The power of the gospel both saves sinners and sends missionaries. Y'all tracking? Saves sinners, sends missionaries. Here's the first thing I want you to notice from verse 1. Paul went to the synagogue. He went to the synagogue because that's where he knew he had a voice. That's where he knew there was going to be chatter. That's where there was going to be debate. That's where people were going to be listening. That's where there was going to be curiosity. I want you to notice how incredibly intentional Paul was about establishing both contact and relationship. As soon as they land in Thessalonica, the first place that he goes to is the synagogue. For us, we need to understand that we're either sent to where we are, as I mentioned earlier, or we intentionally go and find a mission field. None of us are excused. With our staff team, we've been talking about this. Uh, I've talked about this with, with, with my family. One of the places that we go to regularly uh, is, is this, this pub off of Main Street called uh, Roosevelt's. Many of you already know about Roosevelt's. And when it comes to Roosevelt's, there is a lot of conversation and chatter and debate and friendship and going back and forth, a lot of community that happens there at Roosevelt's. And one of the things that they've invited us to start, hopefully at some point in the next month, one of the things that they've helped us or invited us to start is this forum where we get to essentially preach the gospel to anybody who's there uh, a certain night of the week. And that's really cool. That's awesome. And, but here's the thing. When it came to going to Roosevelt's, one of the things I realized, one of the things that I learned was as a pastor, a lot of my time is spent with Christians. And I love hanging out with y'all. I'm not knocking that, right? But at the same time, like, I got to go find a mission field. And so that's why we're kind of gravitating towards Roosevelt's. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. The idea here is that none of us are without excuse, and this isn't just for seasoned veteran Christians. You and I have been sent. That is part of the power of the gospel. It saves sinners, and it sends missionaries. 
And so what we see in Acts 17 is what Paul does when he gets to the synagogue. We see three things, that he's reasoning with them, he's explaining stuff to them, and that he's proving things to them. So when it comes to him reasoning, he's teaching about who God is from the scriptures. When he's explaining, he's teaching what the scriptures mean about this Christ, And when Luke writes that he's proving to them, what he's saying is that he's presenting the implications that, hey, we are all sinners. And as a result, Jesus came to die for sinners, reconciling them to God. And so what is the, uh, what's the result of Paul doing this? We read, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So Paul, for three days, is preaching the gospel. He's telling them about Jesus. He's pulling from scriptures. He's answering their questions. He's intentionally going back to the synagogue, and he's establishing contact and building relationship. And what we see is people come to know Jesus because of this burden from this vision that Paul had. Help us. That was what the vision was. Help us. There are people in McAllen, in our surrounding cities, that are crying out with the same thing. Help us. The power of the gospel is that it both saves sinners, to which if you're a Christian, you're proof of that, and it sends missionaries, to which none of us have an excuse. Secondly, as we continue in Acts 17, and as we jump into the, 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 the letter of Thessalonians, what we're going to see is the effects that the gospel has on a people, right? And in particular, the church. In Acts 17, we see that the proclamation of the gospel and the transformation of people's hearts brings about two things. One of them is hostility. So going back to verse, or excuse me, uh, Acts 17, verse 5, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Down to the second half of verse six. Check it out. This is what they say about the proclamation. These men, so Paul and Silvanus and and Timothy says, these men who have turned the world upside down. He's like, we're seeing this transformation and we don't like it. (laughs) Right? Like that's what the gospel is doing in Thessalonica. And they're taking notice of this. And so their jealousy wasn't just inward, but they took action and actually formed a mob. They started a riot and they dragged Paul and his crew and some of their friends out, beat them, and then imprisoned them. Gabe read the extent of Acts 17 as they're all in prison because they began, or the Jews began this uproar. And they're doing this because the gospel was being proclaimed and because the power of the gospel was evident among the Thessalonians. As you continue in Acts 17, we see that eventually Paul and his crew are released from prison, but ultimately they, they have to flee Thessalonica because of fear of the mob. They're still coming after them even though they've been released from prison. And this breaks Paul's heart because 
as this church was planted, as this church was just getting going, he wasn't able to shoot them a text message and say, hey, I had to go. How are you guys doing in the midst of all this persecution? How are things going? Are you okay? Do you need anything? He couldn't do any of that. In fact, Acts 17 records that they go all the way to Athens, which is super south of Thessalonica. They go all the way to Athens before they catch a breather, and they send Timothy, the ministry intern, they send Timothy back to Thessalonica to go check on how they're doing. They know nothing of what's going on. This hostility wasn't just a one-time occasion. Paul and his crew were beaten and thrown in prison. The Thessalonians are uh, also being thrown in prison. They're being beaten. They're being persecuted. They're experiencing hardship. And Paul knows absolutely nothing of them. So he sends young Timothy back to this Thessalonica to check on them because Paul was afraid that in the middle of all this persecution, in the middle of all this hardship and rejection, that their faith had grown weak. It's like, you ever had those seasons where you just feel like you're building momentum and then all of a sudden something goes terribly wrong and you have no idea how to figure out how that was going? So that's what Paul ultimately does is sending Timothy. In 1 Thessalonians 3, we learn about this report. So Timothy comes back to Paul, and he gives them the report. And so here's what Paul says. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, so they sent Timothy, and Timothy comes back with a report, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about your faith, about you through your faith. So Paul receives this encouraging report from Timothy that, hey, they're actually doing really, really well, and they miss y'all. One of the effects of the gospel is that it will bring hostility. And so we need to know right now, as missionaries, we need to know that we will encounter hostility as a result of the gospel taking shape in our lives. You see, the gospel isn't only captivating, it's radical. What is it that the the, the Jewish leaders said? These men are turning the world upside down. The gospel isn't just captivating personally, it is radical publicly. You will be rejected. You will be hated. You will be ignored. You will be disrespected. And at times, we will experience far worse. However, you are not left to yourself. Because you, church, you, Christian, have an outpost. And that is the church. That's the second effect of the gospel. If part of it is that it brings hostility because people are going to radically see our lives publicly and they're not going to like it, they're not going to like Jesus, it's also meant to bring about a healthy church, one that we, not just Pastor Marco, we are responsible for cultivating. As Paul receives this report from Timothy and learns that they're actually doing really well, this gives Paul such encouragement 1 Thessalonians is going to have a lot of that, a lot of encouragement. Again, it's one of the letters, if not the only one, where Paul is super encouraging as he champions the health and vitality of a church. 
And so in essence, what we see is that in the middle of persecution, in the middle of hardship, the church is healthy and flourishing, that they are pursuing holiness, that they are in discipleship relationship with one another, that they are growing, check it, healthy through community. This is why, now we're going to flip back to verse 1 in, in 1 Thessalonians. This is why Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians. He's not writing to individuals separately, but to a corporate body of believers who have been united to Christ. Yes, we are reconciled to God, but then we are reconciled and brought together as a church, a community of believers. And when Paul writes that they are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say a lot about what that means, but one thing for sure is that their union with God is through the work and wonder of Jesus' work for them. As a church, the Thessalonians are captivated by the gospel. And as a result, they're pursuing holiness and one another. And it doesn't stop there. It's not like they're just this ingrown church. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, we're growing healthy because it's just this silo that is you and I. What ends up happening in addition to them pursuing holiness, in addition to them growing healthy, is that other cities and communities and people take notice. In 1 Thessalonians 1.8, here's what Paul says. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. So he's saying, not only have we heard about your faith, or not only has these places heard about your faith, but he continues, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. He's saying your faith has spread out like people know about you and your character because of the way in which you live. The Thessalonians are convinced and captivated that the gospel of God's grace didn't only save them, reconciling them to God, but it also reconciled them to one another. When we're captivated by the power of the gospel, one of the effects is or should be a healthy church, one that we are responsible for cultivating. In the fall, when we looked at 1 Timothy, we saw that Paul writes to Timothy and explains what a healthy church looks like structurally. As we consider 1 Thessalonians, God, through Paul, will teach us how a healthy church lives. Health always surpasses hostility. Always. If you're like, I'm not really sure about that, then look to the person like Paul, the persecutor of the church, chained up so many different Christians, murdered them. Health always surpasses hostility. Holiness is always greater than hostility because holiness is always more captivating. Finally, we come to the fruit of the gospel. We come to the fruit of the gospel where Paul writes, grace to you and peace. 
This is all 1 Thessalonians from here on out. Grace to you and peace. These are such powerful words, and I want to spend some time unpacking them. The word to can also be translated to the word with. In other words, Paul can be saying grace with you and peace. So let's talk about each one for a minute. Beginning with grace. Even here at Storehouse, we often define grace as undeserved favor from God to sinners. And that's true, but there's, there's more. We need to have a little bit more understanding of this grace. And that is that grace is God's favor to us when all we've deserved is his condemnation. Right? If we just look at it as, oh, grace is God's undeserving favor. It's like, oh, that's awesome. No, no, no. We need to dig in a little deeper. We need to dig in a little deeper because apart from God's grace, all we have deserved, all that we have earned, all that we have worked for is his condemnation. Yet, by his grace and goodness, God gives that which is most precious to himself, his only son, that he might remove our guilt, our shame, and sin, and reconcile us to the cross. The means by which we are reconciled to God is by astonishing grace. And it doesn't end there because grace is not only salvific, it is empowering. Grace is God's power working in us. In other words, grace is the gift that gives us the ability to put our sin to death and live in a manner that is pleasing to God. To reject grace is to reject God. So when Paul writes grace to you or grace with you, he's not only reminding them of what God has done for them, but he's also reminding them, encouraging them of what God is doing. It's as though Paul is writing, keep going. I've heard of your faithfulness and your holiness and your your fruitfulness and your flourishing and your thriving. Keep going and grace will be with you. As you stumble and fall flat on your face, when you get back up, grace will be with you. Man, as you have that gospel conversation that you were dreading and it was fruitful, grace will be with you as you are ministering to your children, as you are discipling one another. Grace will be with you. Finally, grace. Grace is a gift that we can only receive. On multiple occasions this week, I've spoken with individuals who've told me one common thing. I cannot give myself grace. And to a degree, their statement is true. We can't. Why? Because we are our own worst enemy. Because our heart spits lies that we end up believing. And our actions tend to always remind us of our unworthiness. But grace is not something that we can achieve. Grace is not something that you can earn. Grace is a gift that you simply receive. I want to look at a text from last week, very briefly. This is Romans 3. Starts off with some bad news. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So we're all on level playing field. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he doesn't end there. And are justified. That word justified means that we have been made right with God declared righteous. Huh? 
by his grace. Through your achievement, through your accomplishment, how smart you are, how many times you read that one book of the Bible, how quickly you memorized John 3.16? No, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Before we move forward, I want you to remember grace today. I want you to remember and receive God's grace for you. Because the common response I get when it comes to remembering grace is, but I don't deserve it. Yep, that is the point. And God graciously gives it to you solely because grace is his nature. Today, I want you to be shaped by the habit of grace. Not personal gain, not your personal agenda. I want you to be shaped by the habit of grace. That's why we gather so that we would be formed by habits of grace. This grace is for you so that you are reminded of God's love for you and God's work in you. Grace reminds you that God has not left you, that he is still at work in you. Secondly, Paul writes peace, grace to you and peace. As I mentioned, the Thessalonians go through incredible amount of persecution. Some of them end up dying. We'll learn about that later on in the letter. Um, they're experiencing hardship. They're, they're experiencing everything from social rejection to a bunch of other kinds of suffering. And so the question tends to be, as Paul says, hey, peace to you. Right? It almost sounds like an insult. Like, man, how is it that the, that the Thessalonians could report to Timothy that they're encouraged, they're captivated, they're steadfast? And Paul says, peace to you. That's actually how they're remaining steadfast, captivated, and encouraged. It's because of peace. The Thessalonians were enamored and captivated by realizing that their greatest need had been met. And that need was that they were first restored and reconciled to God. That was their deepest need. That was their greatest need to be restored and reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. That is what gave them peace. And as a result, they walked with the Lord faithfully. That doesn't mean that it wasn't hard to live in the middle of persecution, but to the Thessalonians, it meant that because they were right with God through faith in Jesus, for the Thessalonians, it was like, what's the worst that can happen? It was like they were pulling a Jesus juke, right? They were just like, man, all this persecution, all of this hardship, all of this suffering is happening, and it's almost as though through the faithfulness of the Thessalonians, they're repeating what Jesus says, are you really going to be afraid of the one who can kill you, or are you going to be afraid of the one who can kill you and send you to hell? Like for the Thessalonians, they had the peace of God because they were made right with God. Peace with God comes from confessing our sin, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, and surrendering our lives to the God of peace who will sanctify us completely through Jesus. The peace of God didn't simply reconcile them, it ministered to their hearts. And the proof of that peace in their hearts is in their life. It is in their pursuit of holiness. The proof of that peace is in their unity and harmony as a church. And check it, 
and the world took notice. So just like athletes return to the basics of their sport every single season for refocus and reformation, we need to return to the basics of our Christian faith for the same reasons. First Thessalonians will encourage us with the power of the gospel of grace. It's gonna be an encouraging letter. But it will also challenge us to live our faith with one another through discipleship or in community and in the middle of a watching world. If we say that we are Christians, that we have been saved by faith through Jesus, the world is watching. You know, like, and what I mean by world is wherever it is that you have been sent. This world is going to continue to watch. Our world, McAllen, the surrounding cities, wherever it is that you find yourself in, they desperately need Jesus just like the Macedonians, just like the vision Paul had. Come to Macedonia, help us. McAllen and our neighboring cities cry out with the same exact plea. The question is whether or not we will respond. So Christian, today, receive And remember grace. But also examine your heart. Are you living in a way where you are captivated by the gospel? Is it recognizable where you are? Or is it hidden by a personal agenda or your own endeavors? Confess any sin before the Lord. And may his peace shine on you. And if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for joining us. You didn't have to be here, but you are. Maybe you lost a bet, but whatever, man. I did too. That's how I got here. But that's beyond the point, right? That was now 15 years ago. Like, that's beyond the point. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, right? But here's what's up. I love you too much not to tell you, right? You don't have peace with God. In fact, you're estranged and separated from him, and no amount of good work or thoughts of God understanding your position will help apart from faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So Jesus invites you with the same message that he invites the church. He invites you with this message of grace, a gift that you can only receive by faith through Jesus. Church, At the heart of the gospel is the invitation to receive and remember God's grace and peace to you. That is what enables us to live in a manner that is captivated by the gospel and in a manner that pleases God. Let's pray. Almighty Father, you are a good and gracious God. And as children, we are incredibly forgetful of your gospel message, of your invitation 
to remember and receive grace. So for a moment, may we sit and be formed by your gospel message, by your grace. And that is that you sent your son to live and dwell among us, having a sinless life, dying a death in our place and for our sin. As a result, he has redeemed us and brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of light. This gospel is all that Jesus accomplished for us. Give us the humility and joy to receive it this afternoon. Lord, hear our prayer as we confess our sin before you. That we trust in ourselves, that we willingly hide our faith, that we regularly forget your truth, and that we so often believe that someone or something apart from you can deliver what they cannot promise. God, would you forgive us? Would you tend to our hearts?